Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. Am I not sending you? Now, while that's coming up, I want to ask you this question. Do you think people today are too easily offended? Well, keep that in mind while I share this message this morning. A few years back, I gave a message on forgiveness using uh, Joseph and his brothers, what they had done to him. They sold him into slavery. And Joseph's progression towards forgiveness and then how he forgave, the, the atmosphere he set to forgive. Um, and it was such a wonderful message. I got such a great response on it. And about a year after that, I was struggling. I was like, I don't have anything. And kind of came to my mind, that was a good message. I'll just preach it again. And I did. And all these people were offended by it. The same people, some of them, that said it was such a great message a year before, what I didn't realize is that at this point in time in their life, they were offended. I didn't know that. And so they thought I was preaching at them. I was. Anyway, it didn't go over too well. Another time I asked the question to our congregation using the example that we offend people. Uh, We don't mean to. Uh, You can offend somebody and not even know it. And they're harboring that in their heart. And so I asked the congregation this question, "Have, have I offended you in any way? And I should know better having a a daughter and a son-in-law that are attorneys, you should know, never ask a question that you don't already have the answer to. All these hands went up. One lady raised two hands. So we offend. That's not what this message is about. I have little snippets of several different stories I want to use this morning. And they all have one common denominator that will come back after I've read the stories. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21... It says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. And the rest of that's in Russian. I'm going to have to just read it out of my Bible. Matthew 14. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. 
But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Now let's go over to chapter 15. In verse 29, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him um, people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. And they laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. And the crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well, and the lame were walking, and the blind could see again. And they praised the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, or they will faint along the way. The disciples replied, where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Now, think about this. These are the same disciples that one chapter previously had seen Jesus feed 5,000. They'd seen a miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000, and only a chapter later, they're already lost in that. It's lost on them. They're like, uh, uh, how are we going to feed so many? We only have a few loaves. He says, how much bread do you have? And they replied, seven loaves and a few small fish. Now, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17. This is a story about Elijah. And it was during a time of drought in Israel. It was a time where there had not rained. Um, it was a season of three and a half years of no rain. And the Lord said to Elijah in verse 8, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and he arrived at the gates of the village, and he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. Pretty desperate circumstances. Her vision of life is we're going to eat our last meal and then we're going to perish because there's nothing, nothing left. Now, here's the sensitivity of the prophet Elijah. He's not a pastor. 
the pastor would say, oh, well, let me cook the bread for you. <laughs> Elijah says, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. Cook your last meal and die. But first, bring me some bread. Good thing they weren't living in the day of easily offended people. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. He goes on to say, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. And then one last set of scriptures here. Well, two more. First Samuel chapter 17. Now, don't forget all of these have a common denominator that we'll get to. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 48, this is the story of David and Goliath. David is just a shepherd boy. He's been sent to the front lines where the, the battle has been continuing for some time. The Philistine army has defied the army of Israel, held them at bay, had them in fear, had them just uh, unable to advance and they had their, their hero, Goliath, who would come out and taunt them daily. And David is there now, and uh, he has said, who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy God's people, God's army? And they're all like, well, look at him. Isn't that enough? So the story goes on. They can't convince David not to go up against Goliath. So Saul finally says, well, at least use my armor. It'll look respectable. You don't even look respectable, David. You're just a shepherd boy. You look like a little ragtag guy that just came out to the front lines here to, to uh, rubberneck, you know, to, to see what's going on. And David tries them on. He says, I can't do this. These are not something I've tested. But here we find ourselves now in verse 48. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him and reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. David reached into his shepherd's bag and pulled out a stone. Now, he had gone and collected these five stones. That's another story altogether. They're very significant. The five stones that he selected in the brook uh, is uh, significant of the later aspect of David's ministry as king. We're not going to get into that this morning. The picture here is what he needed was in his bag. Judges chapter 6.
This is the story of Gideon. God has called Gideon to rise up, to become a judge in Israel. And Gideon has basically proclaimed who he believes he is. He says, my father's household is the least of all Israel, and I'm the least in my father's house. I am nothing. I have nothing. I am nothing. I'm frightened. Is this echoing real bad? Sounds good? Okay. God has convinced him now to go do something. And in verse 14, he says this to Gideon. Then the Lord to him turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midians, Midianites. Am I not sending you? Or in the New Living Translation, I am sending you. Am I not sending you? Now we know through the understanding of scripture that everybody in this room that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ has been called by God to be a minister of righteousness, to be a light in their community and in this world. You have been called. So often we think of, well, God, God's called me. I have no idea, I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to do, and I'm certainly not trained. Now, the common denominator of these stories is this. Not one of these people in these stories had to go elsewhere to get what was necessary to fulfill the call of God on their life. It was found within them. The widow never left her own house. It was within her house. David reached in his shepherd's bag. Gideon, go in the strength that you have. Gideon would say this, I don't have any. God says this, you are made strong in your weakness. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Maybe we'll have time to get into this in a few minutes, the difference between the 5,000 and the 4,000. I'm not sure. If we do, I remind me. It's a good story. The disciples didn't have to run down to Speedway because it was open at midnight. It's the only place open at midnight and buy a bunch of Mountain Dew and some Twinkies to feed these folks. He says, what do you have? Now feed them with that. And the 4,000, what do you have? Feed him with that. It always surprised me, though, how quickly they had experienced the one miracle. Have you not done this? I have. God moved in my life. God touched me. God did something. I'm just, oh, man, just thank you, Jesus. A week later, where are you, God? Don't fail me now. Feed him with what you have. 
Gideon, just go in the strength that you have. Am I not sending you? The common denominator, am I not sending you? Luke chapter 9, verse 3. Jesus is now sending his disciples out to minister. And he says this to them. Take nothing for your journey. Now, Roald Amundsen, the great Norwegian explorer, said this. The difference between a journey and an adventure is an adventure is just a planned, poorly planned journey. So Jesus didn't send him out on an adventure. He sent him out on a journey. He says, take nothing for your journey. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. What is he teaching them? Am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? Again, over in uh, Luke 10. That was his 12 that he was sending out. Now he's sending out 72 disciples. In chapter 10, verse 4, we'll back up just a little bit. He says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. That, uh, there's a lot of significance in that. Once again, though I believe the common denominator is, I am all that you need. And you have, when you have Christ in you, you have all you need to fulfill the call that's set before you. Whether it's first-time parent, whether it's your marriage, whether it's uh, speaking, whether it's your job. You know, can we think of our jobs as a calling? Certainly. Certainly, you have been equipped. And for whatever reason, you have fallen into the area that you've been led to. That's not a coincidence. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Before we do that, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. I missed that one. Second Peter chapter 1. 
Verse 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. We have been given everything we need for living a godly lifestyle. I just want you to think on that for a minute. If we really are honest with ourselves, I can close my eyes and think of a lot of things I need. You know, I need my brakes done on my car. What's stopping me? Me. Just me. I, I haven't uh, taken the time to take it down and have them fixed. I'd rather risk my life. Now, that's a very small example, but so often we fear, so often we hesitate out of fear, out of apprehension, out of, well, I know God wants me to speak to this person, and I'd like to share with this person, but what if they reject me? What if, what if they don't receive that I, I'm sharing it in love? What if they think I'm judging them? What if they get offended? What if? I'd love to share a Bible study, but I haven't been to Bible school. What am I going to do? Well, sit down with a couple people and show them what the Lord has shown you. Go through it. Read it and simply give it. You have what you need within you. Bible school certainly wouldn't hurt, but it is not a necessity to be a minister of righteousness. When Nancy and I were pastoring in Colorado, we were right by a Bible college. Every seven months, a new crew of people would come through and ask, is there an opening here for a pastor? I just graduated from Bible school as a pastor. I'm like, no. What makes you think you're a pastor? What makes you think you're an evangelist? See, I thought I was an evangelist for years. That was my desire. I want to be an evangelist. I'm going to go out and preach the gospel. I'm going to go down on 4th Avenue in Anchorage, which was rough in those days, and preach the gospel. My first experience was a guy grabbed me, a great big guy. I felt like Jim. Maybe it was. No. <laughs> grabbed me by both uh, the lapel of my shirt and shook me and says, give me your money. And I had gone out just like Jesus said me, told me to. I didn't have any. I don't have any. That was my uh, foray into evangelism. 
But what happened was people kept talking to, to Nancy and I, and they'd go, well, you know, you're our pastor. And I'm like, I'm not a pastor, I'm an evangelist. And people would keep saying, you're our pastor. Well, I didn't graduate from pastor school. I was in business. We were in business. I had people in my business saying, could you counsel us? Could you marry us? Could you do this? Could you t pray for us? And I was like, I'm an evangelist. I was stubborn. That wasn't my grace. I couldn't be a pastor because I hadn't gone to pastor school. You see, am I not sending you? And if God sends you and tells you to do something, he has given you what you need. You don't have to go outside of that to get it. My marriage was in trouble at one point in time, big trouble. And um, the reason I knew that it was in big trouble is my wife kept telling me it was. I'd have been a, just clueless. But my marriage was in deep trouble, deeper than I ever realized. And I went to God, and I was like, actually, I went to Barnes & Noble, or I think it was Walden Books in the day. I went to the self-help counter. And I'm looking at marriage, marriage, this, this, and that. What happened there? was in the midst of that, I'm in the religious section, and this guy walks in, and he's really spooky. I mean, he's not personally, his actions are, he's like, and he goes up to this book, and he opens it up, and he starts reading. And I, I kind of couldn't help. And it was all about witchcraft and the occult. So I kind of snuck over by him. I said, the eyes of the Lord are upon both the good and the evil. He knows you're doing this. The guy slammed the book shut and fled. Didn't help my marriage. But what did help my marriage is one day, I got on my knees and I called out with all of my heart. I said, God, I don't know how to love my wife the way you have asked me to. And God spoke to me and said, have I not put that love in you? Act on it. I couldn't tell you what changed, but she noticed a big change. And she told me, something has changed. You know what changed? I had been given all I needed to be successful in my marriage. I didn't have to go outside myself, go to a seminar. They don't hurt, by the way. Marriage seminars are good things. But the answer is, if you're in a situation where you're married, God is saying to you, have not I sent you and given you everything you need to love.
Okay, where do we leave off? First Peter. Okay, we'll get back to that. Good. Thank you for the reminder. Jim wants to know. Inquiring minds want to know. First Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> Anybody up at two in the morning last night? The stars were awesome, just incredible. Went outside about 2, 2.30 in the morning. Moon was out, stars were out. Big Dipper was right over, right over here. To the north. I was amazed by God's creation and design. And that you can still go outside and see the stars. It's a very short window of opportunity in Alaska to go outside and see the stars without a full suit of down on. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Um, did I mess that up? Yeah, I, I did mess that up. Let's just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, begin with verse 4. This is addressing spiritual gifts. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. All right? Different kinds of spiritual gifts. Everyone in this room has a spiritual gift. You were not left out. I heard a preacher preach one time, and he was talking about special gifts and spiritual gifts, and he literally pointed out an individual and said of them, they have the gift of no gift. What? Yeah, we'd beat, beat the snot out of him afterwards. Yeah. No. I just was like, you missed the scripture there, buddy. They have the gift of no gift. But the person was just such a loving individual, they didn't take offense at it. I was so shocked. I would have been just so upset. I was upset for them. How many times have you been offended? Not because you got offended, but because your friend got offended and you're offended for them. That's even a worse offense. You know why? Because your friend can deal with it and get over it, and you, didn't, you weren't a part of that. So you're offended for them forever. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. You are not without a spiritual gift and you don't have to go somewhere else to get it. You don't have to go, well, I, I, can't, I can't take the time to go to Bible college. Okay. That doesn't change the scripture. That doesn't change the spirit. Going and do that might... Going and, and, and doing that might help you understand how to 
fulfill that task better, but maybe not. As I was saying, every semester, end of every semester, we would get these people coming through. You have an opening for a pastor. I mean, at least a dozen. I just graduated as a pastor, and I, I didn't get to finish that story, but my story was this. If you're a pastor, start pastoring. Just do it. Just do it. And the way you'll know if you're a good shepherd is that every so often, as you lead along, you'll stop and turn behind you, and if there's people, you're a good shepherd. If there's no one there, you should question it. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. I'll tell you what, hang around that person. Somebody that can give wise advice is somebody to hang out with. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. We experienced that last Sunday. I believe Ilya, who is not here today, but I believe he has a special gift to lay hands on the sick and for the, to receive healing. Now, the Bible says we can all lay hands on the sick and pray for them, and the Lord will heal them. But this is talking about a special grace that you just flow in. It just, it's just in you. And you, you love to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. The discerning of spirits is a very important gift. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Now, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, so it is with the body, so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. And it goes on to talk about this. I would encourage you to read these. And it says, of it, they've all been given for the benefit of others. You know what? As I studied this out, I didn't find where... Any of the gifts that were given were for the benefit of yourself. It was not for you to boast in. It was not for you to benefit from. You will benefit from it. And you will be blessed by it, unless you're a prophet. <laughs> I feel bad for prophets. <laughs> they, they could take a pretty big beating. But... uh. The gifts are for the body of Christ to be built up, to be edified, to mature, to be fully equipped so that we can fulfill the call of Christ on our lives. 
I am so thankful I don't have to be complete in all aspects. I can just be me. And you can be you. And in that, the body of Christ benefits greatly. All right. I did say that I would address the difference between the 5,000 and the 4,000, and I have a few minutes to do that. Do you want me to do that? Or should I just meet with Jim alone? Matthew and Mark included two miracles of the same kind. We find the ones I read both were in Matthew this morning, but in Matthew and Mark, they, they are the two gospels that include um, the two miracles of the same kind. Jesus had already fed the 5,000, the bigger miracle, right? Wouldn't you say? So why take the time to mention that now he just fed 4,000? Well, when he fed the 5,000, he was near Bethsaida, I believe, which is a Jewish region, and they were to Jews. And the number five is very significant. Most numbers in the Bible are very significant. The number five deals with the five books. And the 12 basketfuls he picked up afterwards, I believe, have to do with the 12 tribes. So we see the picture when Jesus was feeding the first group of 5,000, it was to the Jews. Very significant. I believe those numbers involved in that. The five books, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, they picked up 12 basketfuls. The 4,000 was in an area of Gentiles. Now, the two didn't really mix that much. And he was feeding the Gentiles in the 4,000. Now, that's as of men. So, with women and children, it could be upwards of 10, 12,000 people, really, when you think about it. It was near the Sea of uh, Galilee that he fed the 4,000 near the uh, Gerasenes uh, region around Decapolis. And in the, in the 4,000, the significance is that there were seven loaves, not five loaves, seven loaves. Again, the, the number is important. Seven is the number of completion in God. Seven is the day that he made all mankind. Seven is now I am uh, providing for all mankind, not just to the Jews, but to also the Gentiles. Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. 
If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.